Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today. Who are extremely endearing, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. So, Jonah, I was thinking about the year, and I think... It's when I was in 10th grade and you were a senior that we were in the same high school French class. Yeah, that was cool to be in classes with <laughs> with my two years younger than me sister. And you were also much better at French than me. But yeah, we were in the same class. To be honest, it was because I studied so much. I, yeah. I was kind of more studious than you were. So I think that's why we were in the same French class. But I always thought I looked like really cool having like my brother in the same French class as me. And it was a real bonding experience for us, I think, because I used to I used to tutor you after school in French. Yeah, you used to tutor me even though you're younger. And I remember like just sitting in my room with my guitar and I had like a half stack amp. And I remember just literally just playing guitar and you trying to like teach me different verb tenses and me being like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I remember you, you were always trying to play guitar while I'd be like, okay, you could like, you know, maybe like put the guitar down for a second, like while I'm 
trying to help you with this. The other thing that I feel like we used to talk about all the time is like our French teacher, specifically our French teacher, Mrs. Mauser, was so into food. So like every like at least once a month, there was some kind of extra credit thing you could do where you could bring in food, some kind of French food. And she would talk about um, this restaurant, Paul Bocuse, um, that she yes. went to once on a French trip with students. I feel like after I graduated, I was like very good at, I could have ordered a meal in French and probably done nothing else. <laughs> yeah. I felt like we learned, yeah, she brought in the menu from this restaurant. She was like very into it. Yeah. Because I think something happened where like she had taken a bunch of students there one year, one summer or something on a trip to France and they like comped them a bunch of free food or something. And she like really loved that and was like, we got everything. Yeah. So we would, we would often like look at the actual menu for Paul Bocuse. But then do you remember once also in our French textbook, there was like a recipe for I don't know if I'm going to say this right, even though I'm proficient in French still. Galette de Roi, which is a king cake, basically, which is a cake that has like a baby, a little baby in it. And it's like it's like a it's like a cake. If you get the baby, it's good. luck. Anyway, I remember we like made it and we used the recipe in the textbook, which was like missing a lot of details because it's like I don't think they expected anyone to like really make it. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds very possible. I think it was one of many things that we would bring in for extra credit that year that we could kind of bake together. So that was fun. It was like, in some ways, it was a French class and a baking class for us to take together. So that was really cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I think it was the only class we ever took together because generally we took classes within our grade. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. I mean, they mixed levels for like language and stuff like that. You, You know, you weren't always. It was totally cool. I mean... You could have been in a higher French class. I feel like you were just like, I don't really want to study that much. I didn't really care. I was more into like learning misfit songs and guitar or something. But I just want everyone to know, just a side note, that you were in Horizons in uh, middle school. I was in a gifted program in fifth grade. So yeah, yeah, that doesn't come up that much. But uh, I should should tell people that more. Jonah's incredibly intelligent. And uh, I was never in Horizons. And I always had a chip on my shoulder about it. Okay. (laughs) Well... (laughs) That was a great, great recap about uh, Grown Up. And, you know, speaking of uh, really smart people, today our guest is an actor, comedian, writer. Um, you may know him from The Chris Gethard Show. You may know him from his beautiful Anonymous podcast or his new podcast, New Jersey's a World. Um, this guy podcasts a lot. Let's give it up for Chris Gethard. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you? <laughs> How's it going? You? Thanks for listening to all that. Oh, no, I loved it. I, Horizons was the name of the bad kids program in my school horizons, really? was, horizons was its own hallway of the high school that notoriously locked from the outside those kids were locked in and no way i had a friend who who went to horizons i had a friend who he was really he was a very smart guy and he just he started phoning it in and it was like he was like yeah we were just in there playing knock hockey and getting through the day man so you said you were in Horizons. I was like, oh, well, you're a badass. And then I realized that for you, Horizons was HAP, the high aptitude program. Horizons, which was in the school, was like a middle school thing. And it was like for all the smart kids, like the really like smart kids in fifth grade. And they would like, what would you even do? The one, the only thing I really remember is that you guys came up with the idea. And we've maybe talked about this on the podcast before for this like stoplight that they 
created to have in the lunchroom. And whenever our volume in the lunchroom got too loud, it would turn to red. And if it stayed on red, they would make us do like silent lunches. And it was like, it was so weird how obsessed they were with the volume of like the room in middle school. Like it was so crazy how they were like, you guys can't talk too loud. It was like, it didn't matter what we were saying. Like we could have been saying really nice things to each other. But if it was like past a certain, it was, they were like obsessed with volume in middle school. The more I think about it. And in elementary school, it was like, if the lunchroom gets too loud, like you guys, especially in elementary school, they were like, you guys just have to like, like have a silent lunch and it was just like you guys are insane who cares how loud we talk sorry chris did you have any issues with your school lunch volume just in general it was insane i I went to a public school in north jersey in a town that's like a good town where the school has always had sort of a bad reputation and the lunchroom was definitely the wild west so it was pretty wild it would i remember normal days and then i remember days where there were like brawls and not much in between there was it was either normal or it was like a movie happening and were brawls like food fights or like actual fights uh both both i I mean like i saw a kid break a chair over another kid's head like he was like mick foley like i saw (laughs) like i saw that in the high school lunchroom that was pretty that i'll never forget that was this kid ramon who was this sort of quiet kid and there was a table of football players um, and they were, it was the freshman football team and he was probably like a junior at this time. And someone threw some food at him and he just, he was this real quiet kid that no one knew that well, like nice, nice enough guy who kept to himself and that food hit him. And within seconds, a chair was broken over a freshman football player. And it was just like, you could tell like, oh, whatever makes Ramon so quiet, it also makes him... <laughs> have a real don't you're not gonna fuck with me attitude and it was just like okay no one no one ever messed with Ramon ever again and that was I remember witnessing that and being like whoa I also I also took French which as you were saying it I was laughing because I was like even back then I wish they had told us like so you can take Spanish which will be useful on a near daily basis increasingly so going forward or you could take French which you will use (laughs) <laughs> Maybe as a novelty if you go to France or Montreal, and that's really the only time yeah, it would ever be yeah. useful. Yeah, I actually took Latin for a year, which I think I'm like the very, like the last generation ever. I took this class called Phenomenon of Language with this woman, Mrs. Gobetz, and we learned Latin, and it was like kind of all the bad, it felt like it was like the bad kids who like, because we also could take like, Chinese, you could take all these languages, I'd probably be really smart. And I remember, like, learn as I was learning this, being like, I am never going to need this. <laughs> yeah, that's really, I mean, you could, that's why we were in the same French class, is because you yeah. were off, like, taking Latin. And <laughs> you know what's so crazy is I have this recurring dream that I've never thought of when I'm conscious that I, like, missed a bunch of school, which I actually did miss <laughs> some school and stuff when I was sick, but like, missed a bunch of school and I didn't get to, like, I, I never made it in to French class. And so then like, I didn't get to take like the highest level French class my senior year. And it's like, I'm so bummed about it. And then I wake up and I'm like, oh, I did get to like, I did get to take like the highest level French class. And I'm like, so happy when I wake up. (laughs) That is a very nerdy anxiety. (laughs) anxiety. Cause I have the version of it still where I'll be in a high school or college class 
and they'll put the final in front of me and I'll realize I did not take this class and now I have to take the final, which I think is a very common anxiety yeah. dream. Yeah. But to have an anxiety <laughs> dream of I didn't get to take a class I actually took, that is... <laughs> yeah. That or is, like that's I'm in the level. class and I like don't know any, and I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for this class. I don't know. It's like some version of that. Yeah. yeah. Vanessa took a lot of honors classes. She was, she was. You were smart, huh? Smart. Yeah. Well, I studied a lot. Jonah, you she were also really smart. You just, you were more into guitar. That's true. But Chris, you know, I took. Oh, go oh ahead. sorry. Go ahead. No, no you go. Ahead. go. Well, Chris, I, you know, I remember you <laughs> came on and uh, you did my old podcast. Like I looked it up 2013. You When your first book, I think came out bad idea I'm about to do. And then, you know, I remember you coming on and me being like, Chris's childhood sounded kind of scary. Like it yeah. sounded like there was a lot going on. I mean, what? how do you kind of look back at that era, I guess? I think you are correct. I think there's a lot of stuff that like, it, it's funny because it's like on one level, it was just kind of what it was like growing up in the 80s and 90s. But I also know that like, um, especially now that I have a kid, I really re-examine a lot of my childhood and go like, okay, there's some stuff that cannot fly. And I moved back to New Jersey last year and reconnected with a bunch of people I grew up with. And I was pretty shocked because, you know, it's like I'm a comedian and especially as a stand-up, a storyteller. So like my whole instinct is to exaggerate things and focus on the weirdest aspects of things. So even I, after a certain point, you start to think like this must just, my brain must just have always been built been built to exaggerate but even talking to people i grew up with like i there there was um pretty infamous incident in my high school that we all and I, I don't know that it's a good thing that this was the shorthand for it amongst our high school but everybody called it the race riot because there were two different groups of kids there was asian kids and black kids in my school that all got into it with each other and there was all these rumors that people got shot there was all these stories that people uh, you know, I, I remember them saying like all after school can activities are canceled. Everyone, you're just going home, like get, get out of here. I remember like thinking about that and we would kind of like joke about that and talk about how intense it was, but I'm like, it must not have been that bad. I, uh, I have this buddy who lives in Baltimore and every time I tour through Baltimore, we catch up and he was, a, I had always heard this legend. I was like, you know, there's a story about your brother during the race riot. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you're, there's a story that your brother, Steve was walking down a hallway and the Dean was there and the, the Dean had his back to a wall and was kind of breathing heavy. And your brother went up to him and was like, Mr. Peterson, what's going on? And the story everybody tells that I've heard to this day is that Mr. Peterson grabbed your brother by the arm and was like, Steve, we got to clear this hallway. You with me? And they turned the corner and like fought kids because the thing that happened during this incident was a group of kids from our school got into it. And then you started hearing, oh, there's kids from other towns showing up to get in on this fight. Like people are calling their cousins, people are calling their friends. And there's like people who don't go to our school are coming to our school to fight. And the rumor is that your brother and the dean kind of like went back to back and fought a bunch of kids who were not students at our high school. <laughs> my brother was like, er, er, my, my, my friend Mark is like, that's crazy that that that's so funny that there's this story that that happened to my brother. And he's like, I'm going to, I'll call him and see what the real version of it is. And sure. then he texted me like four or five days later and was like, totally true. Like I talked to my brother, Steve, he was oh. fighting alongside the Dean. He was like taking out kids who didn't go to our high school with an adult who worked there. And then, <laughs> 
uh, same kid, he uh, this year, I'd stayed with him again, and he was like, I've been waiting for you to come back, look what I found. And he found the letter that the school sent home. Whoa. That was signed by the principal that was like, we just want you to know, we, we know that all these parents have been hearing stories, like, it wasn't that bad. And this letter home was like, there's rumors people got shot. There were no sh- shootings. There was not a drive-by shooting. We know there's stories of a drive-by shooting. Like your kids are safe in our school. Everything's under control. Um, there and it, it said something along the lines of like, uh, like the the number of people who showed up from other towns is being greatly exaggerated, and all the stories we're hearing, but not like. It wasn't a letter that was like, "Hey, nothing happened." It was like, "Hey, right? Let's let your kids are still safe here." And I was like, "Man, that's that's pretty wild that a kid like me went to a school where stuff like that was happening." And we were like, "It was really unusual," and and we were all taken aback by it. But we were joking about it, like it was a joke. It wasn't so outlandish that it was. Like there wasn't some big town meeting. There wasn't some board of education thing where all the parents went. It was not that unusual. Right. It was a letter home unusual, but we were all back in school joking about it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Childhood was, it was strange. It was strange and overly tough. And especially now that my son's around, I think about it a lot of like, why, why were we all so obsessed with like toughness and there was a weird tinge of violence that was expected. And some of that's like North Jersey in the eighties. Some of that I think is, I think a lot about movies, especially on a nostalgia podcast of like how many movies we grew up with, where it's like in the beginning, it's a nerd getting picked on. And at the end, the nerd wins, but not the world's not a better place. It's just like Daniel LaRusso learns a kick where now he can kick ass. Like it's, that's not a better world. He's just, now (laughs) he's the alpha and like revenge of the nerds. Famously, like this is a thing that's oft discussed, but like one of those nerds dresses up as Darth Vader and sleeps with a woman who thinks it's someone else. Like it's like, oh, you didn't take down frat culture. Like you date rape now. Like the nerds, that's how the nerds win is like their shitty tough alphas now. I just think a lot about it. So that's my rambling answer to your question. That sounds very intense. I mean, we had like parallels. I, I feel like I, Jonah, I don't know if you know this, but I had like a notoriously kind of like, I loved my grade. I loved the kids in my grade, but we were kind of known as like a difficult grade and we couldn't have assemblies because they would have like guests come to the, like, so, so what I'm talking about seems like it's like a much less intense than your experience, Chris, but like for this, like kind of like upper middle class community in suburban Ohio, like we were, we would have speakers come to assemblies and we would let, and the kids would just like talk through it and kind of maybe someone would like kind of heckle, but it was mostly just us talking again. School was obsessed with noise levels. (laughs) (laughs) And so then they were like, we're not going to have speakers come in anymore and have assemblies because you guys can't handle it. And we were all like, okay. And then the other thing that happened, Jonah, while I'm sure this happened while we were both in high school was like, there was like this, I feel like you were still, we were still in school together. You hadn't graduated yet. There was like this run of um, food fights in the lunchroom where like every day for like a couple weeks, I think I might be remembering this poorly and I could ask some of my friends, to, to clarify, but like there were so many food fights. It was when we had that female principal that was only there for a few years and she couldn't get them under control and kids would just throw food. It wasn't really like violent. It was just like, so I would just eat lunch in the library, which I would do a lot anyway, because I love to study during lunch with my cool friends. <laughs> but um, 
it was just like happening every day and they like didn't know how to stop it. And it's, by the way, it's like, yeah, that's the kind of thing that's going on in the lunchroom that you have to like stop. Noise levels, not a big deal. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And we'll be right back with Chris Gethard. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. 
Chris, um, I wanted to talk to you really quickly about something that I think you're going to be interested in. Um, so we saw you in the Action Park documentary, um, and I wanted to ask if you remember the Headbangers Ball episode with Alice in Chains at Action Park. I don't. You don't. So there's this kind of, okay, so this is maybe not going to be as exciting to you, but there's this kind <laughs> of, there's this episode where Ricky Rackman, the host of Headbangers Ball, takes Alice in Chains there, like, super early on in their career like they're they're really young like early 20s and they're super goofy and they're like shutting down the lines for the rides to interview the band and there's like all these people and they're like so psyched and um vanessa and i just found out we're related to ricky rackman so that was sort of like and he said that's like the most popular episode and uh yeah but it's 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 what i always think about when i think of action park because i never went we never were able to go there i remember mtv would do stuff there from time to time and i know the warp tour was uh would stop at action park my brother went to the warp tour at action park and i think saw the ramones play in the town really? of the ramones whoa uh, i think they famously played a warp tour or some dates on warp tour in their like last year or two so my brother saw them and he has a great story where he they had when bungee jumping became a fad they had bungee jumping at action park which was just everyone assumed a bad idea my brother went and did it Wow! it made me laugh so hard the employee the teenage employee because they all knew the reputation of action park my brother they had him like cross his arms and he's about to fall backwards and this kid is probably some like 15 16 year old kid up at the top of the platform with him just like goes like oh shit oh 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 and reaches for the harness and like my brother falls off (gasps) but the guy was faking my brother out like he the guy basically insinuated to my brother that the harness was on incorrectly and he was gonna die oh my god which just gave you an even more enhanced bungee jumping experience but (laughs) i love that action park like by the end they were so well aware of why you were going that they were actually it was almost like early sleep no more shit like experience like if you want this to be like interactive immersive theater like we know you're scared and we'll scare you more and play into it is the thing about action park that it's like not safe (laughs) oh one thousand percent one thousand percent it was it was a water slide park in like way northern new jersey that when i was a kid the altar boys from the church in my neighborhood, they all used to go there and come back with injuries. Like a kid came back with a broken ankle one year. Kids would come back with burns and contusions and black eyes. And it was just a place that word spread throughout the eighties in Jersey of like, this place is messed up. And kind of, it was kind of a thing where a lot, a lot of kids of my generation, you, you went there specifically just to say you went and survived and that was part of the fun of like, you'd get geared up and be like, okay, okay, like you could die. And uh, I was in this documentary about it on HBO that kind of blew up last year. And uh, I I was pretty shocked to realize, like I was aware that people had actually died there, but more people than than you want to die. Like it was, you go, oh, we were going and doing that. And it was like a rite of passage to be like a teenager and go do it. And then you go, oh no, there were like, a dozen people that died there. Like people were getting seriously injured. It was way more real than, I mean, I guess we did know it, but there, you know, when you're young and in that headspace, like it didn't, it didn't set in how real world that was. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it must be crazy for you as a parent now to think about all this stuff and, uh, and the way the world is today and sort of, yeah. It's, it's really strange to think about and and being in that documentary 
made me realize this so hardcore of there was this real hypocrisy to the era we grew up in where everything revolved around fear. There was satanic panic. There was, you know, constant rumors that people in vans were going to kidnap you. I remember when I was in fifth grade, there were police at my school because there were all these rumors going around Jersey that people dressed as clowns were kidnapping kids and don't ever play Dungeons and Dragons. And every apple has a razor blade in it. And if anybody ever gives you a Mickey Mouse tattoo, don't lick it. It's actually acid as if people just give away <laughs> acid, you know, like acid's hard right. to come by. Like, But you think about that, just the level of relentless fear and how much we thought about growing up when we did like, why were we thinking about witches so hard and Satanists <laughs> so hard and all this stuff? And, and it was just constant fear and milk carton kids and the Russians are going to bomb us. And yet it was also like, but yeah, go to Action Park. We'll drop you off and then meet, we'll meet you at 6 p.m. Do whatever you want. You know, like right. it was like, be scared of everything all the time. But I feel like I'm not the only person where the parenting style was generally like, all right, the sun's out, go outside find something to do and be back by dinner. Like, and we'd be gone for seven, eight hours a day where no one knew where we were. And when you think about that dichotomy, especially as a parent now, I'm like, it's really weird. I don't want to hover over my kid. Yeah. Well, Chris, I think this is a really good segue into our topic today, which is, you know, a, a very intense kind of candy that that can be kind of scary. Um, <laughs> and the, the topic that you want to nice, bring up was- Jonah. Well, it also is, you know, it is called Warheads, and we wanted to talk about them and sort of um, just physically challenging candies, which are really big when we're growing up. They're incredibly sour. Um, they were actually invented in, I believe, in Taiwan in 1975 and brought to the U.S. in the 90s. Their mascot is Wally Warhead, with his puckered lips and a mushroom cloud coming out of the top of his head to show how sour they are. And uh, Chris, what, what is your relationship like with, with Warheads? Well, I thought about these, you know, when I was asked to do the show and, and, and told to think of it, it did say like any snacks, snack-based nostalgia. And sure. I, th I thought of these right away and they had a precursor called Crybabies, which was a type of gum. Warheads are like a sucker right. candy. Right. And then a couple of years before that was Crybabies. And, and these both span middle school for me. I think Crybabies came out when I was like tail end of fifth grade. And were very big throughout my middle school. And then Warheads hit right before I went to high school. The thing that I remember most about them is not necessarily the candy themselves, but there was a few years there where it was like, um, it was a thing to get these and almost put on like challenges. Like it almost was like a fight club sort of vibe of someone would have a bunch and it would become a thing of can you eat one of these without crying or how many can you put in your mouth at once? And sometimes you'd have almost battles where it would be... With, these are with warheads or with crybabies? With both. With, with both. both. Well, because crybabies were tough, but they wear off pretty quick. The sourness wears off really quick. They're just really, really, really sour. And then you're... But then you're eating like your standard kind of like low-grade childhood gum. But warheads were the next level. And warheads is when it got really bad. Warheads, I would say, are considerably a worse experience. But sometimes you'd also have these battles where it'd be like, okay, like you versus Danny. He's saying he can put four in his mouth. Okay, we're okay. I say I can do five. We're going to each put five in our mouth and scare each other down and see who lasts longest without spitting them out or crying. So it was like, I, I have nostalgia for the snack, but also for 
the idea that there was like a genre of food that led almost to like battles or like tests yeah. of strength, like torture based. They were like torture based candies. Yeah. We were just saying it's so odd that that was such a thing when we were growing up. And I guess most of them still exist. Like the one that I remember being that way was Atomic Fireballs was that would be like a thing where you you could get into a similar battle. <laughs> yeah. And Lemonheads too. I think Lemonheads sure. were like a precursor. But the thing I remember, because at the end of the day, the Atomic Fireball is is that, but is a pretty good cinnamon candy. Like a Lemonhead is a good lemon candy. Crybabies and warheads in particular. Warheads are not a good candy. They only yeah. exist for this purpose. They only exist for you to torture yourself. Yeah. And for the amusement of others to watch you be tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do similar stuff with like pop rocks? I mean, there's not as much to do except have them explode in your mouth. No, I don't. I don't remember that. I remember this being a specific fad that spanned. Uh, my like my exact junior high school years was I remember the stores that sold them in our neighborhood. I remember they were constantly sold out. And I remember it was That's kids so would show up crazy. and whoever had them in their bag, it would be like, oh shit, he's got warheads. All right. Who's challenging who? Like, and it was like, I say almost like these weird Kumite type <laughs> battles between kids to see who could, who could keep these things in their mouths longer without, being like horrifically mocked for crying about it. Yeah. I feel like another snack from that era that was like almost had this mythical status at the time was Jolt Cola. Did you guys have yes. that at all? Yeah. Yes. Like I feel like you never really saw it, but you heard about it. Um, and it was just supposed to be so crazy. I remember, yeah, I remember um, that being a much whispered about thing. And then it actually showed up. Some store in my neighborhood actually did start stocking it at some point. Kids would, kids would go apeshit chugging Joel Cola. Yeah, for sure. And it was just that it was really high in caffeine. That was the <laughs> yeah. whole. It's like, yeah. Significantly higher. Yeah. Significant, but it's like, you could have drank an iced coffee. I mean, like there are other ways <laughs> yeah, to get caffeine. Yeah. It was almost the exact, Joel Cola to Cola was almost, you almost saw it echoed years later by what four loco was to alcohol when it came out it was almost yes. the same thing of like no one was saying it was particularly enjoyable but you almost you almost drank it for the novelty that it was gonna mess you up so bad that's why it existed it's so crazy to me that like the logic i just don't get like if you're, you're saying like warheads were always sold out like in your town because everybody wanted them but they like it in general, like are really challenging to eat, but aren't actually even good candy, like a lemon head or something like that. Yeah. It's just like, if I were going to the store, even at that age, I feel like I'd be like, can I have the candy that's like delicious and not sold out? I don't know. It's just so funny how as kids, you're like, I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's feels so exciting to get that kind of candy. It ties into what I was saying before too. If I think there was just like, and again, I think it was that era and it was also a Jersey thing that for as much as I love Jersey that I do roll my eyes at like there's this, this constant need to prove your toughness. Hmm. And it relates to that of it wasn't even about having candy. It was about this like need to prove toughness at, that this candy served. And I just had this awful sense memory come back that's very real. And anyone else who grew up with these will remember what I'm talking about. These candies, we would eat them so often and they were so intense that you'd have like the 
the skin on your tongue and cheeks would kind of like peel off. Yeah. Like, like would scrape off if you know that feeling, which I think maybe like Sour Patch Kids can, yeah. if you eat too many of those with all that citric acid in them. But these things would be, you did not have to eat that many. And all of a sudden you'd have that like soft tongue skin problem. Yeah. Where it would be scraping off. It was bad. It was a bad candy. Yeah, I feel like with like hot tamales and Sour Patch Kids and these more mild ones, I would really like them. They'd be so good. And then you hit a point where you eat so many, they just suddenly turn totally disgusting. You hit like (laughs) this wall. Yeah. Jonah, you are always really into hot tamales, which are similarly like very spicy and really similarly mess up your tongue. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But I think that kids today, like remember there's that thing like about like the people eating Tide Pods like a few years ago, like it seems like kids still do there's this sort of like weird rebellious thing where you want to eat something that's like wrong or dangerous or something that's some kind of i don't know what what do you think that is it's funny because i i feel like this must have always existed i haven't done any research but you also look at things even like man versus food or hot ones which is such a popular show right like these things that are just torture based eating stuff, fear fact that I feel like my generation's obsession with warheads ties in totally to this. It's the same generation that I think later embraced jackass and fear factor. And that generate that age group grew up with a number of points on their line of growing up that were about torture is amusing and like self like masochism is amusing I think Warheads ties right into that, like right into that cultural thing. For some reason, this generation thinks it's funny to get in a shopping cart and like go down a hill directly into a brick wall in the same way that when they were five years younger, they wanted to eat a candy that was unpleasant and made them cry. It's the same (laughs) people, same children. And now they're probably the same people who buy cable packages for man versus food. You know, that's the same people, I think. Right. Right, because watching it, like, there's this voyeuristic thing where you're experiencing, but you don't have to actually experience the pain. There's a dude out there who does a video series where he, his job is that he's the guy who figures out which bugs have the most potent stings. And the only way to do that is he finds them and catches them and lets them sting him. Whoa. And it's truly awful. And I've watched so many of them. And I realized, but it's, I'm of the exact same age that, ECW wrestling was a huge, huge thing for me. And the Jerry Springer show era was my childhood. There's so many aspects of my childhood that were about like this combination of masochism and voyeurism and violence. And I hope my, I hope my kid, I think things have, I think that all that stuff is not as cool. Yeah. I hope. I pray. I hope so too. (laughs) Vanessa, you look concerned. Well, it just it's interesting cuz what that made me think of was like some of the stuff like sorry to be like whatever but some of the stuff going on in congress how they're like all like dogging each other right now like they're like someone will be speaking and they'll be like booing or whatever it's like it's like those people have grown up to become like such assholes <laughs> not all of them you know not you chris and uh, certainly not you jonah or <laughs> Myself, we I but, don't think we thought that we're okay. talking about members of Congress, me and Chris probably. Okay, I just feel like that, accused. That, I felt very <laughs> accused. That generation, it just, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough. I, I was thinking too about how like 
my version of all of that is is more like food challenges. Like I when I was like in my 20s, I would always be like, you know, with my like improv friends or whatever, we'd do like food challenges. Like, can you eat this whole thing? And that just to me was fun because I love, you know, to eat, but nothing like disgusting, you know, mostly just like. I feel like that I remember that in my improv era as well. And a lot of that I think also related to generally a lot of us not having much money. Yeah. Giving all your money over to a theater. Yeah. That doesn't pay you, which worked yeah. out well for both of us. But a lot of people I think have problems with it. But I do remember right. having that, having that stretch of like someone being like, if you can eat 20 chicken McNuggets in 20 minutes, I'll pay for the 20 McNuggets and me being like, I'm going to do that just to try to get a free meal. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yes. And I remember there was, I worked at this production company and whenever we had a client in, they'd ordered this cake from Le Pan Quotidien or something, something like that, someplace in, in Chicago. And, um, and they called it Kenny cake because one time Kenny Rogers had been there doing a voiceover thing and he really liked it. And so <laughs> this is insane, <laughs> but so they would have Kenny cake and then like the client would come to record or whatever. And then, and then the client would leave and people would be like, there's Kenny cake in the kitchen and people would like take pieces. And I started taking like the, like I'd take like all the Kenny cake when I'd like go home and I'd bring it to my improv rehearsal and we'd like either eat it or like throw it at each other, or just like have fun with it. And I'd come into work the next day and people would be like, um, do, okay, do you know, what happened to the Kenny cake? Like, not to me specifically, but they'd be like asking each other, like, the Kenny cake's gone. Like, it just like feels really weird. Like, did someone just take it all? And like, I started like doing it all the time because I was also like, why are these full adults who are like all making more money than me and can fully, fully afford to like go to like whatever and buy their own like cake, which costs like, I don't know, $12? Like, why are they like freaking out so much? Like, I'm going to eat, so I would just like take it, which is honestly probably like the most rebellious thing. I ever did <laughs> but I would take it and then my improv team like oh it was so good we would just enjoy it or like I do remember a couple of times we would like you know have, have like little food fights with it but like it was mostly like can you guys like not be so obsessed with this cake <laughs> anyway I've talked for too long and we're gonna take a quick commercial break <laughs> we'll be right back with Chris Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh, Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we are back. And now, Chris, um, we'd like to play a game with you that we like to call Back to the Present. Joan and Vanessa, we've got to go back. To the present! Name is obviously, uh, it's a hilarious take on the nostalgic Back to the Future film franchise. So anyway, um, in this segment, we each get to say something um, from our childhood that we wished would come back. And there's no wrong answers, but you know, we're going to go first to kind of give you a chance to think of things. So I was going to go first. Something that I really miss, which I think technically still exists, but not in a way that it would be appropriate for me to go, are, um, I don't know if you had these in New Jersey, Chris, the Scholastic Book Fairs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously, like there was the Scholastic Book Club where like every few weeks we'd get like this little paper like catalog thing that you could like check off books that you wanted to order but then once a year the scholastic book fair happened where they would set up like a little shop in your school library or like somewhere in your school and you could like kind of go shopping and they sold everything from like books to posters of (laughs) posters of like it would be like a kitten or something but then also I remember Jonah was really Jonah got a poster of like a Porsche or something and he I like believe never it was a yeah, it was a okay. Ferrari Testarossa, I believe. Oh yeah, Ferrari Testarossa. And he never took it out of the plastic. Um <laughs> because I don't know, he thought he thought the poster itself maybe was valuable. <laughs> but I, I remember to protect it. 
he wanted to protect it. Yeah, it's a very a very cool <laughs> poster he wanted to protect of a Ferrari Testarossa. I remember I would buy like books especially that had like stickers in the front because it felt like you're getting the added bonus of like stickers with the book. But it was, there's something about like going shopping while you were at school that was like at school that was like so fun. And all the stuff I feel like was really like pandering towards kids. Like it was just really like, you know, and I'd be like, oh, I can buy like the newest Babysitter's Club or like whatever it was. It was just felt so fun. And I really wish, I really missed the Scholastic Book Fair. Do you guys remember that? I 100% remember. And you'd get that real cheap newsprint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that's the, the catalog. You print brochure catalog yep. thing. And you'd take yeah, it at yeah. home. That was the Scholastic Book Club. Yeah. That was the Scholastic Book Club. Yeah. And then yeah. once or twice a year in the gym, it would be it would be the event you're speaking of. I can feel it. I can feel it in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that being really exciting. Like being able to like, turn like yeah like have like a bookstore in your school and um and now and like as you're describing it i'm thinking of like wow this like what's the business model behind this this seems like some kind of weird scam where they're like paying the school and then they're getting a cut and like yeah i mean scholastic is making so much money i mean you're right chris that i forgot that it's like it was like on newsprint the thing that you would get I don't know, we would get it like once every other month and those books you would like order from Scholastic and then you would get, I remember I would order the Babysitter's Club VHS tapes, like the videos from Scholastic on in those newsprint things and then they'd get like delivered and you'd get them in your classroom. But then, yeah, the book fair was when they would actually come to your school and it was like a little shop in your school for like a day or a couple days. And um it just felt so exciting. And and Scholastic was just probably making so much money. I, I actually looked it up. It's been going on for more than 30 years, the book fairs. You know, they say it has turned more kids onto the wonder of reading than anyone else. This is obviously from the Scholastic website. And it says, with the look and feel of a bustling bookstore, I'm not sure about that. These week-long <laughs> events feature mobile cases full of adorable books based on characters and subjects kids love and want to read about also they're not mentioning that so much of it is like posters and stickers and stuff well you're bringing back another memory do you remember how often scholastic would have very poorly written adaptations of movies from the time no i don't remember that i so distinctly remember ordering a book version of willow and i had not seen the movie (laughs) willow at the time um but there that was another thing was that you could very often get like they clearly had some pop culture licensing to adapt some 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 pop culture stuff. Well, yeah. well I'm gonna blow I'm gonna blow both of your minds right now because I just Google I like Google when we talk about these companies I like Googling like the CEOs. Um, just because oh, like, they always loves have, to take down they always these, have these like statement, these official statements. But no Googled, CEO is safe on how did we <laughs> no get weird? CEO but go ahead. Safe. But I Googled Scholastic, and this is an article in the New York Times from oh. uh, from. A, two months ago that says inside the real life secession battle at Scholastic what? the powerhouse children's publisher known for Harry Potter had been passed from father to son until E.O. Lucci's the top executive was given control so there's a whole secession kind of thing happening at Scholastic which we were just talking about their business model totally corrupt and like they've assented to this like crazy thing and I can't wait to read this article and, and maybe there'll be a series based on it Well, this article does say Scholastic Book Fairs, just 
the book fairs alone are a global business with operations in all 50 states as well as in Australia, Canada, India, New Zealand, the Philippines, and the UK. And they said, um, this article, again, from the Scholastic website, the undisputed leader in the field, Scholastic, delivers 120,000 annual book fairs that reach 35 million students in preschool, elementary, and middle schools across the country. Book fairs put more than 100 million books in the hands of kids every year while helping schools raise over... 200 million in free books and resources. So that's how they do it, I bet, is like they give you, somehow the school gets free books for doing it. But meanwhile, all these kids have to like spend all this money on books. So it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of a succession, uh, you know, scholastic version. I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see <laughs> what happens to those con men. <laughs> so your vote, Vanessa, is to bring, is... You are, oh, we don't, are we, do we vote on this? We don't yeah. vote on this, no. But I would, I would, I would, I guess, I guess scholastic book fairs exist still. I just miss them and want to go to them. But I, the more I'm learning, the more I'm like, oh, this is a little bit more corrupt than I thought it was. But I just, I loved them so much and I loved going shopping for books and stickers and posters at school. And um, that's what I miss. Um, Jonah, what, what would you like to bring back to the present? Um, or do you miss from your childhood? So, yeah. So, this is something that me and Vanessa grew up with. Um, it's Sega Genesis. Chris, did you ever get into the did Genesis? Did you have a Sega? Oh, yeah. Road Rash, Sonic yep. 2, and oh, HLPA yeah. Hockey. Those were my big Genesis games. I forgot about Road Rash, but I loved Road Rash. Road Rash. Um, what was Road Rash? Was it Road like Rash a race? Was was oh. kind of really figures into the, the theme of this episode. It was a game where you rode in a motorcycle and you would basically like kick or use weapons to get the other guys oh off their motorcycle. It was Isn't a that race, right? Yeah. It was a race where you'd just pull up next to someone else's <laughs> motorcycle and punch him in the face or whip him with a <laughs> chain. It was like pretty violent by the standards of the time, but it was, man, it was a fun game. It was a yeah. fun I kind game. of remember this because like, like I would say my time playing Sega Genesis or with Sega Genesis was like maybe 80% watching Jonah play and maybe 20% me playing. So I kind of remember you playing this Jonah, but I don't know that it was ever a game that I played yeah we played a lot of sonic the hedgehog obviously that was sort of like the yeah you know i think it was bundled with sonic and uh and yeah but but yeah we were you know we've talked i think on this podcast that like my parents were not into us having game systems early on and i won an original nintendo at a raffle we won we We each put five one dollar raffle tickets in so that's huge that's like life-changing they wouldn't let us get get a gaming system like that. And then at a Purim carnival, we we won a Nintendo. And then I remember like the negotiation being like, well, we have to keep this because it's our, we won. And they were like, yeah, I guess so. And like, also we got it for $10, which is so much cheaper than what it would have normally. Yeah. But I don't know that how. Yeah. Radically redefined your childhoods though. Totally. Kids who had Nintendos versus kids who didn't. That was a different childhood. For sure. We got a Nintendo. And then somehow we got a Sega like a few years later. And it was like our parents, I guess, were resigned to the fact that we were going to have some kind of gaming system. But what was interesting about us having a Sega is like, I remember my friends would be so excited to play it when they would come over. And it was like nobody, I guess they just weren't as popular. Like we were kind of like, it felt like we were the only kids in the neighborhood who had a Sega and not like whatever version of Nintendo was popular then. Yeah. Yeah, because it was up against the SNES. It was up against the SNES, which we never had. But yeah, I think that was a more popular. But we had some weird games. There's this game, Kid Chameleon, we played a lot. I can remember that. And then Vanessa has brought up this. There was this Motley Crue themed pinball game. Crewball. Crewball, where it was like 
<laughs> just like a pinball game, but it would like play Kickstart My Heart or something. And there were like hit. four. You could choose which Motley Crue song it would play. It would play. I remember it would play. Um, <laughs> Home Sweet Home. Probably. Home Sweet Home. Yeah. A lot. So it was like so weird. You were playing like a. But it was like a like. It was like a MIDI version of Home Sweet Home. You were playing like a Muzak version of Home yeah. Sweet Home or whatever songs, but then just playing pinball. So it was like, <laughs> it was so weird that Motley Crue was like, I'm sure they were like, we'll give you a bunch of money if you just like, we can use your name and like put, put your songs on while people just play pinball. I'm kind of like a lightly edgy looking pinball machine <laughs> on Sega, but we loved it. Yeah. So yeah, so that was, yeah, I was, but uh, yeah, I mean, we never had S- SNES and then there were, what does SNES stand for? Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. Okay. And okay, then, Chris, I don't know if you remember, like, the the pinnacle of a video game at that time. Like, there was always, like, one really rich kid that had, like, the Neo Geo machine. Yeah. Yeah. The and Neo was, Geo like, was no joke. It was no joke. It was really expensive, and it had, like, all these games. I feel like there was, like, one really rich kid at probably our Probably the Lebos had it. That's what I was thinking, probably. Yeah. I don't know. There was a stretch, too, where TurboGrafx-16 tried to horn in. Oh, yeah. And never caught on. And that was a bad time for me because I was always mocked for having a very large head. Bonk, and right? Bonk. You get it. Like Nintendo yeah. had Mario, Sega had Sonic, TurboGrafx-16 had Bonk, who was this boyish caveman with a big head. And I was, there was a stretch, there was a year or so there where I was just relentlessly called Bonk. Oh, man. It was not great. That always looked like a really fun game I always wanted to play, though. Yeah. TurboGrafx-16 looked good. And I never yeah. knew anyone who actually had it. Yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. I never knew anyone that had it either, but it had a cool name. It seemed like it had a cool game. I mean, I guess back then it's like y- you had to know someone that had it or else how else are you going to play? Yeah. Well, also those games were like so, those original games were like so good and so simple kind of. And now like I've played like more advanced, like as video games have gotten more advanced, um, I played like with Taryn, like his his games and like it's like you have to like maneuver through all this stuff and like it's always just me like <laughs> like running into a wall and like walking really slowly <laughs> facing a wall, <laughs> like walking sideways <laughs> facing a wall and then like looking down. <laughs> Whereas like I feel like Sonic the Hedgehog, like, you know, you go forward, even like Mario, like you just you know what to do. You don't have to like control shift or, or not shift because it's not a computer but like control whatever and then like it's just constantly me like me like squatting down squatting down squatting down <laughs> looking at a wall <laughs> that sounds fun too vanessa <laughs> it's really hard to play these newer video games it's like why am i going to play that when i could just play sonic and it's easy and i have a blast yeah anyway so yeah, so that's my vote is to bring back Sega Genesis. Although probably if I did research, there's like a thing you can now buy for like $6 where you can play every Genesis game yeah. through an emulator or something. But I want the original. I want the whole thing. You miss it. Back, you... the physical sensation of putting the thing in, blowing on this cartridge, the whole <laughs> yeah, yeah. the whole thing. So that's my, that's my back to the present. Uh, Chris, have you been able to kind of come up with anything? I've had a few thoughts come to mind. Okay. One that jumps out is... There was a stretch where there was too much stuff involving Mr. T. But then there was a stretch where Mr. T was clearly past his peak relevance, but he was still a guest on a lot of stuff. And if I can whittle it down to that era of Mr. T, it yielded some really great things. This is a like post-A-team, post-Rocky. Okay. Mr. T still has his rent-to-pay era 
um, Mr. T used to show up in a lot of really crazy stuff, and it was it was very entertaining. And I missed that. I would bring back a like 1990 forward Mr. T type of oh, Mr. T showing up in this random thing. I do miss that. Yeah. What were some of the places you saw kind of Mr. T turn up during that era? My favorite one by far. And this is, I can say without exaggeration, this was actually transformative for me. Was, it probably is not too shocking considering like all the stuff I've laid out today to say, (laughs) my brother and I were also really obsessed with uh, Spanish language game shows. Because those shared that sort of like, you get to see people humiliate themselves and there's some masochism there. And there was this one game show called El Gran Juego de la Oca. And we used to watch it all the time. And it was nuts. It was really wild. And it was it was like a big board game in the studio. And people would roll dice and then they'd land on a square. And like sometimes you'd land on a square and you'd have to do a challenge. But then sometimes you'd land on a square that just had a skull and crossbones on it. And you'd have to fight a guy who's dressed as an executioner. And, and of course it was, you know, nineties, um, Spanish language TV, which meant there would always be like scantily clad people like coming out for random dances and songs and stuff. It was just really nuts. And my brother and I used to watch this show and we thought it was so funny, but we didn't know what was going on. (laughs) And then one day I turn it on and you know, it was, you just randomly flip through the channels. I'm like, Oh, El Gran Uego de la Oca's on. Who happens to be a contestant that day except Mr. T? <laughs> Where, like I said, like maybe Mr. T, he, maybe he had a, you know, maybe he bought one too many homes when <laughs> things were really cooking. And now he just had to like take, and listen, my last year, couple years of my career since my show got canceled, I'm not judging. I sympathize with T. <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm not mad about it. You got to do what you got to do for your, your mortgage. But Mr. T was on this game show. And the footage of it, you can find it on YouTube. It is so funny and so insane because they don't take it easy on him at all. They put him through the same type of challenges. There's one where he has to go spelunking in a cave and the cave explodes while he's in it. And you just hear him like, oh my God, oh no, oh no, 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 no. While like pyrotechnics are going off in this cave they built. But the thing I love the most about it was we'd spent a couple of years watching this thing and we never understood the game. And they had a translator in his ear. That's what I was going to ask was because I didn't wouldn't it was the imagine he speaks Spanish. It was the Rosetta Stone. It was the <laughs> Rosetta Stone that made us understand some of the rules of El Granue Go de la Oca because they'd be speaking in Spanish and then you'd hear him going like, oh, okay, so if, if I hit that button, then this happens. And we'd like, that's what that button's about. Okay. <laughs> like he was kind of processing it and... and as he was like reiterating what they said to him, it helped us figure out this game. And that would happen, I would say that's an extreme example that I love close to my heart, but I feel like a lot of people who grew up in the 80s and 90s have seen Mr. T do one or two things there. Yeah, for sure. Plus it led to stuff like, um, I I have often said my favorite piece of comedy ever is when Conan O'Brien took Mr. T apple picking, which if you haven't watched it, it is, it is, it is Conan at his best. on one of his remote pieces. And then you've just got Mr. T who is just the unpredictable X factor human being of our generation. So it's like, you've got Conan doing a funny, dumb thing in the way you love Conan doing. And then you have Mr. T doing stuff that the writers could not have predicted. And it's, 
a fantastic combo. And if you're having a bad day, it will cheer you up. Mr. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to watch it. That sounds so great. That era of Mr. T was great. He'd show up in really strange places. Yeah, I'm looking at his his Wikipedia and he was on Blossom, Martin, Malcolm in the Middle, all the, every sitcom he was in the on 90s. Blossom? How do yeah. I not remember that? I feel like I've seen every episode of Blossom. He showed up. T showed yeah. up. You can find, have you found the El Gran Juego de la Oca? If you do Mr. T on Spanish Game Show, it'll come up right away. And the, <laughs> I, I, I promise you, um, I can't. I think it would be impossible for me to overhype it. It is good. It is. Can you say, it. And you're saying you saw this? I mean, I'm sure everyone can see this now because of YouTube and stuff. But you saw this as it when it actually aired. I used to regularly watch this show. Okay, um, and I'm sure you two remember because you're a similar age difference between my brother and I, but. Is your you brother have, older or younger? My brother's two and a half years older than me, so he was a senior when I was a freshman. Okay, okay, yeah. That's another thing I meant. Like, that thing where you go, like, you're flipping through the channels in one room, and, like, there's many childhood memories. There's things that I remember from my childhood where I'd be like, that's one of my favorite things, but where I realized I only saw the last two-thirds of it because my brother would come running into a room during a commercial and grab me and be like, you have to come see this, it's so funny. Or, like, I only... like. How many things did you see that you remember? That I would say I do miss this, and this will never happen again because of streaming and YouTube and all this. Like seeing something you love, but only the last ten minutes of it, and then waiting until it comes on again to see the first two thirds yeah. of it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Totally. Yes. Like I remember. I think maybe the hardest I've ever laughed in my life to this day, and I've I've laughed so much. But the first time Beavis turned into the Great Cornholio. I remember watching that episode of Beavis and Butthead and just crying, laughing. And then at the commercial, sprinting to find my brother and like dragging him back and being like, you have to see this. And then he only saw that last two thirds of it. And there's so many things like that of like, you only caught a part of something or the middle of something or seeing the last 10 minutes of a movie and literally not knowing its name until some friends of yours are like, oh, you know they're like describing a movie and you're like that that movie where the new kid moves to town and then the nerdy kid has to fight him and they're like yeah three o'clock high and you're like i finally know the name of three o'clock high <laughs> like i understand that life is better now that we don't have to do that but i have some nostalgia for that yeah kind of like fragmented mosaic pop culture not having every blank filled in not having seen every minute of everything not having heard, you know, hearing the tail end of a song on the radio and being like, is the DJ going to say it? Is the DJ going to say it? Shit, the DJ didn't say the name yeah, of that song. And then having yeah. to ask your friends, like, and then being like, oh yeah, that's a, you know, that's the cure. You don't know the cure? And now you know, and now all of a sudden you've learned about the cure. You know, like, I miss, I do miss that fragmented experience. Yeah. If you're like Jonah and I, you can kind of never get enough information. So like, you'll know kind of like what a show is or whatever, but then you'll still like find yourself spending <laughs> hours doing research on like why it was created. Like, I feel like uh, there's more information, but it, it leads to, to um, you know, there's always more to learn about stuff that again, probably doesn't necessarily impact your life but here we are and we've got a whole podcast <laughs> there you go i also want because jonah you and i too a similar music like music scene participation and vanessa i'm not sure how much you got into the punk thing 
Uh, not very much. <laughs> I will say, Jonah, I would just put in a simple word, fanzines. If you ask me oh, one man. thing I'm nostalgic for, and I know they still exist, but they'll just never serve the same, like the functionality of fanzines. Absolutely. This is my fanzine from college. Oh. Yeah. I used to do this fanzine, Law of Inertia, and maybe I'll do an episode on it. But yeah, I mean, Godspeed You Back, Emperor, Death Cab for Cutie. This is you know 20 years old. But look, too, like... That this is high level stuff that has a full color cover. Is that yeah. newsprint? Yeah. Is that newsprint it, in there? It, it is, but I mean, it, there's a lot of like clip Ooh, art. There's art. There's a lot of graphics. clip art. Yeah, I, I put out some two graphics. issues of a fanzine in high school, and it wasn't. It was a late night Kinkos print it and staple it yourself thing. Yeah, but. yeah. I got pretty pretty into it. I got pretty into it. But yeah, yeah. Fanzines were um, in an era where the internet didn't exist. Like figuring out finding information via someone else's curating it yeah was cool yeah i, yeah. I agree that. it won't we exist do whole, again in the same way but no way we should do a whole episode on that and we should also give a shout out to all of uh jeff rosenstock mikey erg and all of our our mutual friends in the punk scene who are doing awesome stuff there's a lot of yeah. people making cool stuff and there are people making fanzines but my understanding is more often now a fanzine is like focused on a specific topic or totally it's you don't need to go to a fanzine to like learn where shows happen near you right like, right or or see a review for something that straight up just says like it kind of sounds like the descendant it's like if the descendants were from vermont it would be this band and you're like right right and it just says send three dollars to this random p.o box and you put three dollars in cash and a seven inch shows up and you're like eh, it kind of sounds like the descendants like that is so wild to think about yeah. how far we've come but that yeah that legit was how you found new underground music back then yeah, and if you don't like it, you just keep listening to it till you like it. Yeah, or you give it <laughs> give it away to someone else who might like it better, and maybe they give you something that you might like better. Exactly, exactly. And I think we could say the same thing about this podcast. Go ahead, Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, Chris, thank you uh, so much for for coming by the podcast. This was so fun, and you know what? I know you're doing a lot of stuff right now. Where can people find you? What are some things you're kind of working on right now? Well, uh, chrisgeth.com is where people can find my tour dates. I do a lot of stand-up on the road and live tapings of Beautiful Anonymous. I got that podcast, which has been going for many years now. I got my New Jersey is the World podcast. I do a thing called Planet Scum, which is like an online streaming thing that a bunch of comedians do different shows on different nights. So I'm still out there. I still exist. I'm, I'm doing things. And people, you know, follow the social and all all that stuff if you want to know more. And thanks for letting me ramble about the past. It is it is fun to remember these it's been times. So much fun for us. Too. So much fun, yeah. And Chris also has a great email. I get your emails, and so if you want any updates, you oh, sign you're up for one Chris's of the people list. who still opens them. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I do. Well, yeah, that was so fun. Uh, thanks again, Chris, for joining us. If you enjoyed that, um, please subscribe to the podcast. And keep an eye out for next week's episode of How Did We Get Weird, where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural milestones like eating warheads. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.